you, Ramakoko. Uh, um, let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Such a joy to be with you this morning. Um, just uh, let me just say this, that CBC has, is, is such a blessing um, to my family. And I believe to each and every one of you who is here, um, we hold you dear in our hearts. Um, amen. And so we keep praying for you and thinking about you. Um, what a blessing you are to us. And uh, let me, uh, Nelly was uh, turning 15, right? Uh, 15 during the week. And uh, happy birthday to you. And Auntie Nomika, I hope you called her. And, you, and Auntie Ember too. Uh, um, just, I hope that you, you, you um, have spoken to them and sent them uh, a text or a message just to wish them a happy birthday and remind them that you're praying for them as we do as a, as a church, right? Um, let me also say that um, we, we, we have recently started praying, uh, meeting for prayer on Friday morning at 5 o'clock. Uh, for a couple of weeks now, and um, just uh, it's uh, we've been meeting as men, and um, it, it, I'm sorry that you, you didn't know about this. It was not a formal thing. It was just a thing of wanting to come together and seek the face of God. And it's the doors are open every Friday morning, five o'clock. Just come and seek the face of the Lord, and you can go to work. It's 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 not a formal thing. It's not a thing that you know we we take on our schedules. It's just coming looking to God um, and, and then crying out to God. Um, it's, it's, it's such a blessing to, um, when, whenever we meet and, and we say that, wow, um, such a blessing to start the day um, by looking to the Lord in prayer. And so if you are able to, if you are able to, five o'clock here at church every Friday, uh, Friday morning, just come and just look to God in prayer. Um, we continue with God's word in Matthew chapter 6. And we're looking at uh, verse 12 this morning. Verse 12, um, let me read from God's word starting from verse 9 and up until verse 12. And then we go into God's word. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 12. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, the verse, the verse that we're focusing on, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And this is God's word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. We bless your name, O oh God, um, thanking you for your word, ancient words that are ever true. May we remember that we have the scriptures today in, in our own language because men um, who saw the need for that um, and were ready to die, who translated these scriptures and may we take advantage of every opportunity when we have the word before us to study it and to spend time in it just reminding ourselves oh god of your love for us 
in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My, my, my title this morning, just looking at verse 12, is very simple. Forgiven to forgive. Forgiven to forgive. The, the thrust of, the, of, of our title this morning is to point out the fact that those who have experienced the forgiveness of God in their lives are to be characterized by forgiving others. Those who have experienced the forgiveness of God in their lives are to be characterized by offering others forgiveness. A story is told of the first missionaries that went to Alberta, Canada. They were savagely opposed by a young chief when they arrived, um, a chief of the Cree Indians named Maskepetun. And, um, but later, as they continued faithfully uh, laboring in, in sharing the gospel, he responded to the gospel and accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And shortly afterward, a, a member of another tribe, the Blackfoot tribe, killed his father. Maskepetun um, rode into the village where the murderer lived and demanded that he be brought to him. Confronting the guilty man who was brought to him, he said to him, you have killed my father. So now you must be my father. You shall ride on my best horse and wear my best clothes. In utter amazement, and remorse, the, the enemy exclaimed, My son, now you have killed me. And by, by this, what he meant, of course, was that the, the hate in his own heart had been completely erased by the forgiveness and kindness the Indian chief just showed him. In, in other words, forgiving those who have offended or sinned against us when we do so, we, we disarm the hatred both in our hearts and in their hearts. Jesus continues here in Matthew chapter 6 to teach his, his disciples how to pray. In verse 12, he, he comes to the issue of approaching God daily for forgiveness. And if you notice that conjunction in, chapter, in, in verse 12, it says, give us this daily this day our daily bread and the conjunction and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. What that conjunction does, it shows us the continuation of this logic of daily, of the daily provision of God. First of all, providing for our bodies and secondly, providing forgiveness for our souls daily. It's a daily thing. That this day uh, also um, is, 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 is implied in verse 12. So here Jesus continues to teach, us, to teach us how to pray. He says we should pray to the Father, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. You see, this passage, when we look at it, uh, naturally breaks into two parts. The, the first part is asking forgiveness from God, and, and secondly, offering forgiveness to others. Asking forgiveness from God. Let us look at that first point. Asking forgiveness from God. Our Lord directs us to pray, forgive us our debts. 
And I want you to notice as you look at this prayer that this prayer is given to those who are followers of Christ, right? The, the first cry that we, we, we cry out when we go to God, we cry out our Father, and that is an indication that we have a relationship with Him already. In other words, these people are people that have been forgiven. They, 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 they have first repented of their sin from the kingdom of darkness into God's marvelous light. In other words, it is not talking about judicial forgiveness, first of all. Judicial forgiveness is that first forgiveness that we receive when we, when we initially repent of our sin from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That is judicial forgiveness. And Jesus is not referring to that. What Jesus Christ is referring to here is that sanctification. It's called filial forgiveness. Filial forgiveness has to do with our relationship with God. When we offend God on our daily basis and coming to him daily and, for, and, and asking for forgiveness. And if that is the case, that it is the prayer given to Christians, then it means that once one comes to Christ, they are not exempt from repentance anymore. I think it was Martin Luther, not King, Martin Luther who, who said that the life of a Christian must be one of perpetual repentance. That we, 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 we repent on a daily basis. Look at um, this verse. The, the, the word used here for death. Um, forgive us our debt is a word that refers to, to sin or um, other versions, as, as they say, trespasses, right? Um, um, the idea behind the word debt has in mind not a financial debt that we owe God, but we owe God a moral debt. R.C. Sproul uses an illustration of a little boy who walks into an ice cream parlor and orders an ice cream, uh, an ice cream cone with two scoops. The waitress dutifully prepares um, his ice cream cone and then says to the little boy, um, that will be 20 rents. When the little boy hears this, he begins to cry. He, he looks at the waitress and, and has tears in his eyes and he looks helplessly and says, but my mommy only gave me 10 rents. What would you do if you saw this taking place you would do what any anyone would do and you would say to the little uh, uh to, to the wait, 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 waitress let me satisfy this young man's debt then you would reach into your pocket into your purse into your wallet take out some money and pay the waitress an extra 10 rents since the money you are offering to the waitress is legal tender that the waitress will have to accept that in payment and the little boy could could then go home and enjoy his ice cream cone uh, but, but suppose then as you as you hear this illustration suppose that when the little boy was told that his ice cream cone would be 10 rent more would be 20 rents and not 10 rent he and and and, and when he heard that immediately he turned uh, and ran from the store without paying right into the arms of the police officer on his, uh, on his way out while the waitress is crying out, Stop! Thief! The officer would bring back the, the, the boy back into the store and ask the waitress what had happened. And she would explain that the boy had just stolen the ice cream cone. 
Uh, and once again, you see this all happen and you say, wait a minute. Uh, please don't put this boy in jail. I'll pay for his cone. You see, in this scenario, it is different. The, the, the waitress does not have to accept your money. Because now the boy does not only have a financial debt, he has a moral debt. Right? Not, not just a monetary debt. So the, the distinction between monetary debt and a moral debt is important because it, it gives us a deeper understanding of what it took, uh, what took place on the cross. Right? When we sinned, we fell into a moral debt to God. Jesus paid our debt on, on the cross, at the cross. But, but because it was a moral debt, the father was not required to accept the son's payment. He was not obligated to accept it. However, in his mercy, in his grace, he allowed Jesus to pay a moral debt. It should be noted as we hear this, as we, we pray this prayer, as we are directed uh, uh, by our Lord, that repentance does not end when we first come to Christ. Right? It, it, it does not end there. In fact, Spurgeon has a rebuttal for, for the one who says, I have no need to pray this sentence, for I have no debts. He says to this person, Dear one, look at your own heart. I will have no argument with you. Take the bandage of your eyes. You are about as full of sin as an egg is full of protein. Among the rest of your many sins is the rotten egg of an accursed pride about your own state of heart. In other words, those who do not come to God with this prayer saying, forgive us our debts, are prideful. Because they don't realize that the moral condition of their hearts they, 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 they actually do not know the, the holiness of God himself. They know the idea, they, they know the concept, but do not know it as it is. Do not know the, the nature of God's holiness. And, and, and because they don't know God's holiness, they think they are, they are fine. There's a documentary that I was watching during the week, and um, it's a beautiful documentary, American Gospel. Um, the subtitle is, is, is Christ Alone. I would like everyone to actually have that documentary. Um, um, so so as, as they continue on to, to uh, dissect the, 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 the word of faith movement and this, this prosperity gospel movement, um, they show also the aspect of repentance, that repentance is not really the, the thing in, in, in the word of faith movement, in the charismatic uh, word of faith movement. And just um, those descriptions are very important. And so they show a video of Trump. And, and they are asking him on the video, on the interview about repentance. And he says, I, I try not to make mistakes so that I have nothing to repent about. I think a lot of Christians live like that. They try not to make a lot of mistakes so that they don't have anything to repent about. They don't have to come to God to say, forgive me of my sins. John says to that idea in 1 John, he who thinks he's without sin is deceiving himself. You're deceiving yourself. So Jesus, aware 
of our weaknesses, aware of our propensity to drift away, aware that we, have, we are prone to, to wonder, prone to live the God we love, aware of that, calls us and invites us into the presence of God and says, pray, forgive us our debts. We, we, we come to God to say, forgive us our debts, because as, as we did last week, praying to say, give us our bread, and uh, because give us the day our daily bread, because we are confident that he's able to, as well when we come to him, we have this confidence that he is the God of mercy, right? He is the God of grace. He is a loving God. He is the one who promises us that when we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us our sin. And not only just to forgive us, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Just think about those truths, right? Drawing near to God with the confidence that I, I, I am a sinner. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. We, 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 we cling only to the cross because we, we have nothing in us that, that, that can earn us the forgiveness of God. In fact, we come to him as those who deserve to be crushed. We, we come to him as those who deserve the wrath of God alone, but we trust in his promises that he's able to forgive us. Right? So we come to him. First of all, asking for forgiveness and secondly secondly in response to that in response to the great forgiveness of god to the fact that i am a sinner who deserves nothing i am a sinner who deserves the wrath of god in response to that i am motivated to respond in the same way to those who sin against me i am motivated by that beatitude that jesus says as he starts the sermon on the mount blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy we offer forgiveness to others second point Note what follows when we pray, forgive us our debts. The, 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 the thing that follows after that is, as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. In other words, sin does not only affect our relationship with God, but the implication here is that sin also affects our relationship with one another. It affects our relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters. In an environment where there is more than one person, conflicts are bound to rise. Whether it is among good friends, colleagues at work, marriage, in-law relations, even at church, right? Even here, the church, conflicts are, are bound to rise. In fact, if I go even further, if you want a perfect church, you're going to have to plant your own church and not invite anyone. Be the pastor, be the elder, be, be the deacon, be the, the, the member and 
the only member who has one vote, one member, be their sole decision maker, then you'll have a perfect church. But one day you'll be tired and no one will attend your church, even you. So conflicts are bound to rise where there's more than one person. And that is not the problem, right? That is not the problem. The problem is when we deal with those conflicts in a selfish and unbiblical way. That's where the problem is. The heart of the problem is not the fact that conflicts rise. The heart of the problem is our response to those conflicts. We respond in a way that is selfish. Respond in a way that is dishonoring to God. Respond in a way that we seek our own way. We, we seek our own uh, uh, interests, right? We, 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 we seek our opinions to be the opinion. Let's do a case study for a minute. Um, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Philippians chapter two, 4, verse 2. Just look at, look at that text. It, it talks about two women, right? Their names were Judea and Syntyche. Just, just um, look at these women for a minute. The Bible says, um, as we, we, we observe, the, these women were both Christians. They were both Christians. And when you look at verse 3, Paul says their names are in the book of life. It is clear that these women are, 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 are saved. That their lives are in Christ. Paul also asserts and, and, and agrees, saying these women, their names are in the book of life. Secondly, they were both active in the progress of the gospel. Look at verse 3 again. Paul says about them, they labored side by side with me in the gospel. Uh, thirdly, uh, that term side by side, think with me as we analyze this text. The term side by side also shows that at some point they were close. Right? They were close. Now when we observe from this, what we observe from this case of these two women is that they are now in conflict with one another. The Bible does not tell us what the issue was. But from the context, we can see that it was some kind of disagreement that escalated into a conflict between the two of them. The, the fact that Paul had to write from Rome addressing an issue in Philippi means that uh, these women were not responding to each other in a biblical manner. In fact, it, it was such a concern to the church in Philippi that they had to send word by their pastor and says, tell Paul about these two women. Because what was happening in the church probably was that there, there were starting to be factions, those on Uriah's side and those on Syntyche's side. They, they, probably, they probably were not on speaking terms or, or were even bad-mouthing each other when they were with other believers. Now, this is the case. Right? This is the case that we have before us. What does the Bible cause these two women to do in this conflict? What is the, the biblical imperative, the biblical command? What does God say? In, 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 when we look at these situations, first of all, we say, what have you done about it? What does God 
say you are to do about it and how do you respond to God's word? But let us look at it. Let me suggest a few ways they could have dealt with this conflict. Right? First of all, they were to, to, to seek to be reconciled. Seek to be reconciled with each other. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 encourages us in moments of offenses and sin against each other that we are to lovingly show the person who sinned against us their faults with the goal of, of reconciling with them. Right? Because the, the, the most important thing, the primary thing, is the fact that we are both in Christ. Right? So the goal is to draw near to them, to, to approach them, uh, and, and to lovingly show them how they have offended and sinned against you with the goal of reconciling. Secondly, these women were to, to do this. They were to seek the help of other matured believers to help with the conflict. Right? They were, because the first step might not be possible sometimes because it, it, it gets heated. So, so secondly, if, if that is not possible, because we are trying to, 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 to unite and to strive for peace, uh, you, you seek the help of other mature believers to help with the conflict. Paul calls the church in Philippi just there in chapter 4 to help these two Christian women and not to pick sides, Right? Paul actually is not just addressing them. He's also addressing the church. He says, Udians in Taiki, I urge you to agree in the Lord. Right? And he says to the church, help these two women. Help them. Come alongside them. Remind them of the word of God. Remind them of, of the peace that we are to strive for. Remind them that the Christ has called us to love one another. Called us to, to peace, to unity. And thirdly, what they are to do as they seek reconciliation uh, to, to, to solve this conflict, they are to remember the example of Christ. Remember the example of Christ. You see, conflicts escalate a lot of times because of pride. Let me explain why that is the case. With each party the, the, in, in, in a conflict, you will hear things like, I will not be the first one to seek reconciliation. I will not go. You're waiting because we, we are justifying that I am in the right, right? We are justifying that in, I am not wrong here. So I will wait. I will wait it out until he becomes or she becomes the bigger man and comes to me. But we are to remember the example of Christ our Lord himself, the King of heaven. In Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself. And this is how we are to respond, to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourself and to look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's the thing. In a church setting, with people from different backgrounds. There's bound to be disagreements, right? Philippians chapter 2 is written for that condition, for, 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 for those things that arise, to count others more significant than yourself, to, not, to look not to only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. The local church, the community of Christ, is a place where we die to our preferences for the sake of serving others 
right? We all have different preferences, but our preferences sometimes don't serve the progress of the gospel. In fact, our preferences sometimes divide rather than unite. And fourthly, what they are to do is that they are to emulate God's forgiveness to one another. These two women, <clears throat> although they were Christians, although they, they were committed to serving the Lord, listen to this, they were foolish to keep the conflict for this law. They, they were supposed to remember the forgiveness they themselves experienced in Christ. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 reminds us forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you you also must forgive now this is one case I mean we could do a lot of case studies on, on different cases in the Bible but there are many cases that happen right we become offended we, we, we are sinned against and most times by those even who are not Christians but the Bible calls us to be those who are forgiving, those who offer mercy. C.S. Lewis says, God has forgiven the worst in us so that we are able to forgive the worst in others. Probably, I'm not a prophet, but I can, I can predict what is happening in most of your hearts. You're probably thinking about the person that has sinned deeply against you. Probably thinking about the experiences that you've experienced and how you're saying in your heart, it's easier said than done. Let me say to you, the issue of forgiveness and unforgiveness is a gospel issue. Let me explain this. When one is ready to forgive, they do so out of the knowledge of God's forgiveness of their sin. The fact that he forgives them daily without fail for every sin that they have ever, ever committed. And so they are motivated that they, 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 they want to extend the same kind of forgiveness to those who have wronged them and sinned against them. Or on the other hand, to be unforgiving is a clear indication that one does not understand the gospel. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It's a clear indication that you don't understand the gospel. You might know the facts of the gospel, but the gospel has not pierced your heart in the way it should pierce your heart. It's clear that you are blind to your true condition. You do not see the offensiveness of your sin before God himself. You think that you are right with God and probably these are people that don't even repent of their sins. In fact, I believe it's even worse than that. It's even worse than uh, uh, and in, and a misunderstanding of the gospel. It goes even further to, 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 to having a prideful heart that think that you are more holy than God. God is holy, holy, holy. Yet he extends a hand 
of forgiveness to sinners who deserve nothing but judgment, which, by, 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 by the way, includes you in the mix. It includes me in the mix. But when I am offended and, and I withhold forgiveness from other people, that is to think that offenses against me are greater than offenses against God. It is to put myself on a throne that is higher than God. It is to put myself in the level of the devil who said, I will ascend the throne of the Most High. To think that I'm more just, I'm more righteous, I'm more holy than God. And so when I'm offended, I will, I will, will hold it. And they come to me and say, forgive me. I say, no. But God, oh, what a blessed thought. But when a vile offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. We must be warned against unforgiveness and the consequences of unforgiveness. Let me just give you several. First of all, our fellowship, when we don't forgive, our fellowship with the Father is blocked or disrupted. Secondly, when we don't forgive, the Holy Spirit is grieved. When we don't forgive, our prayers will be hindered and will not be answered by God. You can look at Psalm 66 verse 18 for that. Fourthly, we waste our time and emotional energy nursing a wounded spirit. The sixth one, the fifth one, we become enslaved to the people we hate. We become enslaved. That we, sometimes we forget about them, but the minute that we see them, that hate wells up, it, it comes back to show how we are enslaved to them, that we are not free, we are controlled by them. The Bible calls us to, to meditate on our own forgiveness, to think about the offensiveness of our own sin before God, and based on that, to offer forgiveness to those who offend and sin against us and forgive them. Thomas Watson offers a few suggestions of what forgiveness looks like. A lot of times we say, I have forgiven you, but it's not really the case. In fact, a story is told of, a, of an old man called Bill. An old man had a best friend, uh, let's name him John. And, 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 and so they, they, they had a big fight and said things to each other that, that they both regretted. And Jim was on his deathbed. And Jim did not want to die without, without reconciling with John. And so he, he calls John, and John comes into the, 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 the bedroom, and, 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 and Bill starts to talk to, to John and says, Oh, John, my dear friend, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the words that I've said to you that were offensive. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done to you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And, and just let me remind you, my dear friend, I also forgive you for everything. And John also reciprocates and also for, uh, 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 asks for forgiveness. And as he walks out, Bill looks at John and says, but remember, remember my dear friend, if I don't die, this does not count. We think that we have forgiven 
but we still hold it against people. What does it look like to truly forgive? Let me give you a few suggestions. First of all, when we forgive, we face what people did and forgive them anyway. Secondly, we, keep, we don't keep bringing it up to them. We don't keep reminding them, you remember what you've done to me. Thirdly, you do, we don't talk about it to others. Fourthly, we show mercy instead of judgment. Fifthly, we, res we refuse to speak evil of others. I lost my, 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 my numbering, but let me continue. Again, we, 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 we choose not to dwell on it. We, 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 we pray for them. We ask God to bless them. In fact, I remember as, as, as my wife and I were, were talking about this and, and we were describing how sometimes when people do well, we, the, the, you know, sometimes people feel some kind of way that the best way is to celebrate with those people. And, and call them and congratulate them, celebrate with them. And you feel that, that, that no need to be jealous, no, no need to, 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 to hold uh, grudges and, and stuff like that. You, you pray for them. And, and, and when you pray for them, you pray God's blessing on them. To show that sometimes we have not forgiven is when we cannot pray for those we said we have forgiven. Again, we do not rejoice at their calamities. When they go through trouble, we don't rejoice. We, we, we don't have that joy in our hearts. In fact, lastly, we help them when we can. We help them when we can. And we pray, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we are grateful, grateful for your love, forgiveness of our sins, our sins that were an offense against your holy precepts, against your holy character, yet you extended your hand of forgiveness to us. And now we have a new identity as your children. We pray that you help us, O oh God, with forgiving as well that we will not hold it against others when they have offended us, when they have sinned against us. But we will remember the gospel and what you have done for us. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.